for our reading and the need for our consideration this evening. We're going to be largely looking at Second Peter, uh, but turn with me first to Ezekiel and reading in chapter 36, Ezekiel 36. We're going to read just a portion from uh, Ezekiel. I trust you, you know the context, but this is indeed the Lord's promise and, and prophecy of uh, His redemptive blessings upon the ancient people. And as I repeatedly say with, with certain scriptures, we find them fulfilled but not fully filled. There are certain passages, um, and, and some uh, folks love to just delve into Ezekiel and Daniel, and they, they mix it all up, and boom, they've got the timeline. I'm not going to give you the timeline. Um, and, and if anyone gives you that, they're probably wrong. So I'm going to retain uh, a, a level of, of ignorance over such things. But what we do have is things that have been fulfilled, but also things that are yet to be fulfilled. So not fully filled as we read these verses from Isaiah. Uh, so from verse 21, Ezekiel, sorry, from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36 and verse 21 through to 32. But I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. Now, I just wanted to read one further verse on thine, and that is really verse 36, because it speaks of a, of a certainty of the Lord doing this act of gracious redemption among the ancient people. Then the nations around you that are left, all, then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, 
I have spoken, and I will do it. And then turning to the New Testament, turning to Second uh, Peter and chapter 3, I want largely to focus in on chapter 3, verse 9, as you'll see from oh, the, over the, on the other side uh, and the outline of the sermon. But we'll read again a, a good portion of the word. We'll read from verse uh, 1 through 13. So, uh, 2 Peter 3 and verse 1. Let us hear the word of the Lord. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Some of you will be well familiar with the Tolkien masterpiece, The Lord of the Rings, and some of you may not, and if you're not, then you might wonder if I'm simply speaking in tongues, but that's another matter. Those who are aware of the Tolkien trilogy and those who are aware of the story and indeed the movie, and of course the book is always better than the movie, but you will remember these lines. Gandalf, you're late. You remember that opening scene towards or really at the very beginning of the, the movie or the book or fairly soon in when Gandalf and Frodo meet together for the first time. And this gentlemanly giant wizard is quizzed by that young and uh, rather bold hobbit as to his timing. Gandalf, you're late. And Gandalf then replies, A wizard is never late, Mr. Frodo, nor is he early, 
He arrives precisely when he means to. In the first century, and even in the 21st century, there are those who would charge the Lord with lateness, or more precisely from our text, slowness. And as we open up the text, I want us to see the Lord will arrive precisely when He means to. Some perceive this as slowness. Some count this as slowness, verse 9. But no, He comes when He means to. So what is this slowness about? Well, it, verse 9, it's specifically pertaining to fulfilling His promises. And it is, Peter writes, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Well, what is the promise? We read in Ezekiel 36 of promises, of of a new heart that was to come upon the house of Israel. We could read in Jeremiah of a new covenant with the house of Israel. We could read of the promises of the sprinkling of the house of Israel and giving the new heart. Basically, that new birth that Jesus then spoke to Nicodemus about. Nicodemus, do you not know these things? Have you never read Ezekiel? These are the promises of God pertaining to His grace and mercy upon stubborn Israel in in chapter 36 of Ezekiel. These promises are promises that shall be fulfilled and yet maybe not quite yet fully filled. But what is the promise, and who is the promise addressed to? Well, we read in verse 9 that the Lord is patient towards you. Okay, let's, let's just pause on that. Who is, he being, who is being addressed here? Who is the you? Because, don't get me wrong, these, these are applicable to us. These are wonderful truths that we take to ourselves. And indeed, when we sing the Psalms, and I'm among my, my RP brethren, so when we sing the Psalms, we take them, we rejoice in them. But let's not lose the original context. So that's why I reference Psalm 67. Well, who is this uh, referencing here? Who is the you? Well, go back up to chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Okay, so he's writing to a specific, well, what is the se- if this is the second letter, what is the first letter? Well, again, we don't need to belabor the point, but if you go back to 1 Peter, you find that 1 Peter is written to those elect exiles of the dispersion. What is that all about? Well, again, good people disagree, uh, and scholars may disagree. But I believe this is the dispersed Jewish exiles that Peter is writing to, primarily, by extension, certainly applicable to everyone. But in the first instance, he is writing to the Jewish church and indeed the Jewish unbelievers that were dispersed and exiled. So this is not, uh, in, in, in 2 Peter 3, 9, this is not a letter, a second letter uh, to the Gentile church in its initial context. It's not written to uh, Constantine or Calvin or Covenant Church or whatever the name may be. It's written to the dispersed Jewish exiles. God is patient with you. This is showing God's patience towards stubborn Israel that we read of 
in Ezekiel 36. And again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying there's no application to Gentile mission. I just want us to take a little step back, take our, take our DeLorean car and go back a little bit uh, into the past. And of course, DeLorean was built in Belfast. You know that, but I just had to get that one in too. But let's step back and see this in the first instance context as being written to the Jewish church, remnant Israel, tares and wheat in their ecclesial gatherings, and some of them were getting impatient. Some were saying, Lord, why, why, why are we not seeing all the fulfillment of these promises? And indeed, there is an aspect in which godly impatience is okay. Please, again, don't misunderstand. There are times when we as Gentile Christians will say, How long, Lord? Uh, it's time for you to act, Lord. We read that in, in, in Psalm 102. These are good prayers. But we also need to learn godly patience. We need to learn that the Lord comes, visits, arrives precisely when He means to. So I want to take that by way of introduction, and as you find it there in your outline, three, uh, three points of, of application, or three points uh, of, of exegesis and opening up the text, and then three points of application as well. And maybe I, must, I misread them by writing four, five, and six. That should be one, two, and three, and uh, A, B, and C. So maybe my, my notation went uh, a little off there. But one, two, and three. Slow train coming sudden arrival, seismic event, and then three, uh, I trust, appropriate points of application. First of all, slow train coming. We read in verse 8, do not overlook this fact, beloved, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. There is a, a time scale of the Lord that we need, we'll never fully appreciate, but we need to, to, to bring ourselves into the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. There is a time for everything, says Ecclesiastes. Galatians 4.4, 4, you remember, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law. For those that were waiting for His appearing, you think of old Simeon, old Simeon, waiting, waiting. But the Lord had revealed to him that he would not pass without seeing the Lord's salvation. So he's waiting, he's waiting, and in the fullness of time, a virgin gives birth in fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Simeon and Anna had been waiting. Hundreds of years had been waiting in the intertestamental period. The prophecies had been there about the coming Messiah, born in Bethlehem, Micah. And then it happens. An angelic message to a virgin. Angels on a hillside. The Lord comes precisely when He means to. The Lord is not slow. I want us to think for a moment about a slow train. By way of illustration, um, I've been living here 11 years. I've been traveling over here close to 20 years. My daughter went to Texas A&M in 2004. Any Aggies here? Okay, whoop. Um, but, but my daughter is an Aggie, married to an Aggie, and she has four little Aggies. Number five is literally coming at the end of next week, I think it is. So uh, we have a, 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 a birth ready to happen. And uh, 
But when I moved, when she moved over and I was traveling in College Station, if you, if you know College Stations, there's a train. I knew none of that. I'd never experienced American train systems. And so I was just driving around and suddenly I see these barriers coming down. And I had learned one thing from driving cars in the US. I was told, because in Northern Ireland, we have three stop signs, red, yellow, red, amber, green. And in the UK, if it's red, you stop. If it's amber, you stop because it's, it's very, very quick. And green, you go. So I had learned the lesson, well, no, it's different in America. When it goes amber, you actually put your foot down on the pedal. So these barriers are coming down, and I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put my foot down, and, and I, I, I zoomed under. And my daughter, what are you doing? There's a train coming. And I thought, well, it, 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 takes, it takes its while, and, and, and you know what it's like. And another aspect of the trains that I learned was when you, if you do stop, you, you stop forever because these are a mile-long trains that are coming. These are, are slow trains. And I soon and quickly, and now I don't do that anymore, but I soon got to understand the, the slow train and how it comes. Bob Dylan had a song uh, called Slow Train Coming. Now I'm going to embarrass Mitch because Mitch actually led a Bible study with Bob Dylan in the congregation. So you can talk to him about that story from about 40 years ago in Dylan's Christian phase which we believe he may still have the heart of the matter. We're not sure. The Jewish people got him back and uh, tried to make him a poster boy, but um, we think he may still have the heart of the matter. All that to say, any Dylan fans here, you will know the song, Slow Train Coming. And he really uh, referenced that to the, the judgment that was coming upon the, the, the hypocrisy that he saw in the church and the state. And it was a slow train of comeuppance and judgment. And uh, we see that even in these verses. But what we have here in these verses is a slow train concerning promise, concerning sworn, covenanted, promissory truths that the Lord has made. And as we kind of parallel, a lot of the times we often will preach in Romans 9 through 11. Do that for your homework. These are wonderful passages for uh, Jewish evangelism is Romans 9 through 11. And in Romans 11, we read of irrevocable promises. Irrevocable, irrevocable. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce that, but irrevocable promises. Unable to be revoked. Unable to be taken back. When the Lord promises something, He fulfills it. He's not slow. He comes, He fulfills precisely when He means to. So we can have two approaches to a slow train. We can have impatience and duck under the bar, or we can have indifference and just sit on the tracks. Well, both of those ideas are dangerous. And we need to think of the slow train of the Lord's fulfilled promises. It's coming. But what we also read here is not only of the slow train, but we read of the sudden arrival. The sudden arrival. And so we find in verse 10 that the text moves from promise to, to fulfillment. Suddenly, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up, etc., etc. We'll look at a moment at the nature of that. But what this is telling us is that that train 
will come. There is a suddenness to it. And so those that are thinking indifferently about the Lord of sovereign providence or those who are thinking casually about the slowness of a train in, in that sense will be caught out. There are those that are thinking indifferently about the things of God. Maybe you're gathered here tonight. Maybe you've come to this church year on year. Maybe you've grown up among the families of this church, but you still don't know the Lord. Or you're living in rebellion against Him. You may think, well, I don't see any of it. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? People were marrying and giving in marriage. Noah was preaching... 120 years. You might think people might have said to Noah, Hey Noah, where's the rain? And he's gathering his wood and he's building his ark and they're laughing at him and say, Hey Noah, where's the rain? Noah, where's the rain? 120 years. And he comes precisely when he means to. And there's a suddenness to it. It's irrevocable. His timing is perfect. The Lord is not slow. The slowness is actually to draw forth repentance. You are living. You are breathing. You don't know when that will end. It is to draw forth repentance and faith in Christ, my dear friend. For that day will come. Like a thief in the night, He is not slow. It is certain. It is sudden. And indeed, third point, it is seismic. It is seismic. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We can read a parallel passage. We'll not turn to it, but in Revelation 6, you, you, you read about the sky being rolled up like a scroll. I don't know if you've ever been in a synagogue to see a scroll being rolled up and how they take that and carefully roll up the ends. Well, Revelation speaks of that, just that the heavens, the, the, the sky itself, just, just literally being rolled as the Lord brings everything to a seismic end. The Lord's slowness has a gracious purpose so that there will be our proclamation of the gospel so that, Lord willing, tomorrow we'll be in Boulder with tracts and a few words that we'll talk, talk to passers-by. We have these days of grace and favor. We have these days to proclaim the saving mercy of God. We have these days of, of gospel growth and, and gospel godliness and holy waiting that we read of in these verses as well. But that train will come. And that train will come suddenly and seismically. We could think also of the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. It's clear to us, isn't it? There's no second chance. I'm sorry, the purgatory peddlers have got it wrong. And even those who think the Jews have a second chance. Oh, there's going to be a rapture and blah, 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 and then the Jesus will come and they will see Him and they'll all bow down. And There's no second chance. As with the ark door, so with heaven's gate. When King Jesus appears, it will be a seismic day. And we need to be mindful of that. This day comes slow, but sudden 
and seismic. Well, let's make some point of application on each one of these. As we think about missions and as we think about Jewish missions, I want first of all to think about mustard seed missions. And we live in a very fast-paced 21st century that we need again to, to pause a little because Jesus didn't say the kingdom of heaven is like a bullet train. He said it's like a mustard seed. And a mustard seed takes time. And the Lord makes all things beautiful in his time. Some of the first century Christians were getting impatient. Some had stopped working. The apostle had to speak to that, didn't he? There are some that even today think of the imminence of his coming and go up on a mountainside and wait on on his coming. They, we, we all need to be taught mustard seed missions. Some will define the Lord as being slow to fulfill his promise. The Lord needs a little extra helping hand. Come on, Lord, you're, you're rather slow in making all this happen. We know how to d- get it done. <laughs> One of the things, I, I'm an American citizen, please excuse me, as of four years ago, your problems are my problems, so I am an American citizen. <laughs> but my dear American friends, we, we, there is an American mindset that is the pioneer spirit. But if you add pioneer spirit to sinful mankind, you have, we can get it done, even when God doesn't. <laughs> and there are some that are thinking that God is rather slow And so he needs a helping hand. And there are some that say, oh, we've got to find the red heifer. We've got to build the third temple. We've got to, got to, got to. No, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He is doing it precisely according to his time. And again, forgive me, but the American mindset does find it hard to think in terms of hundreds of years. Being British although I'm Scots-Irish, so I get to hate the English, so that's a whole other story. But being British, we can think of hundreds of years. Jewish people can think in thousands of years. And so, as I said in Psalm 67, that was 3,000 years ago. Just think of it. 3,000 years ago, a little Jewish prayer meeting just like this, gathering in Jerusalem. Oh, Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with your face that the earth your way, and nations may know your saving grace. Well, they sang it, they, they, they did sing it in, in meter, didn't they? They sang the Psalter in meter. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm kidding there. But Psalm 67 was them praying for us. Here we are 3,000 years on. The Lord is not slow. The promises given to the ancient Kirk as Samuel Rutherford spoke of, the promises given to the ancient Jewish church were for Gentile salvation. And yeah, we can say about them messing up and not being a good witness, but truly, this book is Jewish, the message is Jewish, the man is Jewish, the first missionaries were Jewish. They didn't completely mess up. They brought it to us. And that's one of the reasons when I go down and I visit Mitch Tepper's dad in South Florida, Mitch Tepper's dad is a 98-year-old Jewish atheist. Please pray. Mitch will often say to me, his Jewish friends all go to Florida to die. It's a sobering thought. But when I go there, Mitch knows this, I'll take his dad out for lunch or out for dinner. 
And his last time I was there, his dad said, oh, it's my turn to pay. And I said, no, Mr. Tapper, I'm paying. And Mr. Tapper doesn't fully understand, but what I keep saying to him is, through the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And through your ancestors, Mr. Tapper, I have received this book, this Savior, and my life is changed. My children's lives are changed. And my soon-to-be 14 grandchildren are hearing the stories of Jesus because of your ancestors, Mr. Tapper. So I'm buying dinner. <laughs> it's my Gentile thank you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Jewish mission to the Gentiles. What about Christian witness to Israel? Well, here we are, my friends, in Jewish America, with six million Jewish people living alongside us here. What are we doing, Gentile church? What would our Westminster divines say? What would McShane say? McShane was absolutely thrilled that one Jewish believer found his way into his pulpit in St. Peter's Dundee. McShane was overwhelmed that a son of Abraham, according to the flesh, was found in his pulpit in Dundee. You're going to have a son of Abraham, according to the flesh, speak to you in a moment. He's a Brooklyn Jew, so I keep him to five minutes. So <laughs> We need to grasp the wonder of the Lord's fulfilling His promises, the wonder of the providences of God in bringing us to where we are, the wonder of the mustard seed that is growing. The Lord is not slow. In the land of Israel, in 1948, there were 12 Jewish believers. Twelve. Almost like the original all over again. Today, there are 30,000 Jewish believers in the land of Israel. Here in the U.S., there are approximately 100,000 Jewish believers. We have one tonight. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. Paul may look up with some angst in Romans 9 and say, Lord, what's happening? My heart's desire. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in deep anguish, Romans 9, 1, concerning my brethren after the flesh. There's the promises. There's the covenants. There's the Shekinah glory. There's the Christ. But most of them don't know you, Lord. What's happening? My heart's desire and prayer is that they may be saved. And the apostle is wondering about the slowness of the fulfillment. But no, 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 no. The Spirit of God descends upon the Apostle as he pens. Plenary verbal inspiration, I believe it. And Romans 9 through 11 opens up the wonderful vista of the grafting in again of the natural branches. In the Lord's perfect timing. We are so impatient, my friends. We need to learn mustard seed missions. We're so impatient in line at the store. We're so impatient when there's that red light. We're so impatient when that barrier goes down and we're stuck behind the train a mile long. Oh, Lord, you've got to do something. It's time for you to act. Our world is in a mess. America is in a mess. We want those happy, fonzy, good old days again. No. Mustard seed missions. You keep going, my friends. You keep going faithful in your witness. And we in ours, I trust. There's so many things I would want more of. I've been here 11 years. 
I've wanted, I've wanted, I've wanted. I've got to learn the secret of mustard seed missions. We sow seeds and we sow it faithfully. And the Lord will fulfill. So we move really on to our second point of application. That's persistent plodding. There is a tendency, certainly in the missionary world, there is a tendency for us to want to have successful reports for our supporters. So we're going to give you 5 or 10 or 15 minutes perhaps after the service this evening and give you some reports. We've got to have a great story. And so when we put it out in our newsletters or in our magazine, we've got to have a great story. We've got to have stories of conversions. We've got to have stories of discipleship. We've got to have great stories because that great story will bring in the money. We've got to have great stories because we're going to hear him say to us one day, well done, good and successful servant. No. Faithful servant, you see. Mustard seed missions, my friend. You in your small corner and I in mine. We're to engage in persistent plodding. Persistent, faithful plodding. We haven't time to deal with the surrounding verses, but, but note those verses, uh, 11 through, really, 11 through 18. As we wait, as we wait the fulfillment, as we wait the promises, as we wait Romans 9 through 11, as we know will happen because of those irrevocable promises of God, as we wait, what kind of people are we to be? Holy, godly, patient, diligent, theologically sound, stable, verse 17, growing in Christ. That's persistent plodding to me. There's no excuse for lazy workers. Libby was saying to me earlier, but did you come all the way from Illinois and then get home to Arkansas and and then drive over to here? Yes, I did. (laughs) I burn up a lot of uh, rubber along the road, and uh, I travel about 30 to 35,000 miles a year by car. It's not that I don't like flying, but I don't like being in airports and waiting and delays. He gets the flights, I get to drive. But anyway, we need to be diligent in our labors. Mustard seed missions and faithful persistent plodding, things happen precisely when He means to. Don't lose the expectancy, though. Please don't misunderstand. Don't lose that expectancy, a godly impatience, but plod on faithfully. We have faced many challenges in Christian Witness to Israel, North America, We have been ignored, we have been sidelined, we have been shunned. I want more, I desire more, I'm impatient for more. I need to learn kingdom time. My my wife works in a local high school, Rogers High School in Arkansas. Uh, She's the registrar of the local high school. She she deals with a lot of the students. And uh, one of the groups of students that she deals with uh, are are from the Marshall Islands. Uh, We have a large um, community of Marshallese in northwest Arkansas. And, and I, I don't know if this is true. I would t- really need to check and check Google or whatever we check. But my wife told me that because of uh, various um, nuclear experimentation, I think, in the Marshall Islands, um, the Marshallese were allowed to settle in the U.S. in two locations, in northwest Arkansas and Hawaii. 
I think I would have chosen Hawaii. <laughs> but we have a large group of Marshallese. And lovely people, but one of the things that my wife Wendy, she notices, they live on island time. <laughs> Everything goes rather slowly. They live on island time. And that's a cultural thing. Now, I don't want to make any comment on, on the culture or, or anything really about that, except to say we need to learn kingdom time. We need to learn to some degree, so far as we can, divine time. So that we understand the Lord's kingdom purposes. And we are engaged in faithful ministry and persistent plotting. I am a kingdom optimist with a Puritan hope, and I plod on persistently. May you also do so. There's a slow train coming. It's slow, it's sudden, and seismic. So not only do we engage in these mustard seed missions knowing that all things are working, not only do we engage in persistent plotting of a faithful ministry with godliness and diligence and all character as befits literature and our resourcing of churches, um, we, we've drawn under two headings in that we arm the church and we aim at the lost. One of my board members recently said to me, maybe we need to rename that because it sounds as if you're loading up your gun and, and taking aim. But, but we arm the church and we aim at the loss. Now, what do I mean by that? ARM, very quickly. We are engaged in an awakening ministry. I hope you're awake. I hope through the preached word we awaken you. We build that burden. We engage in an awakening ministry. We engage in resourcing. So we have literature. Please take it. There's a, a bunch of stuff that's free, and there's a bunch of stuff that you put in a few dollars for on the other side. If I find you all over on the right-hand side, then I'll know you're all Scots-Irish. <laughs> but the free literature's over there. There's books there. We resource the church, and we mobilize. Awakening, resourcing, and mobilizing. And we mobilize because our... Mission is not our mission. It's your mission. I don't have an ecclesiology that says the missionaries are the experts and the church just pays for it. I'm a Presbyterian with a solid ecclesiology that believes mission is not farmed out to the experts. It is something we are all engaged in. So we mobilize the church. What we're doing these next few days is taking some volunteers from local fellowships in Denver and in getting alongside them, assisting them, giving them the tracts, giving them the Bibles, and showing by example what Mitch does in the streets of Squirrel Hill uh, several times a week. So we are mobilizing. We are arming the church. We also are aiming what are we aiming at? We are arresting and imploring concerning the Messiah. We are arresting and imploring concerning the Messiah. What do we mean by that? Well, we need to stop people. What is an arrest? An arrest is literally a stopping. So he, with a shalom board, will simply stop people as they walk by in Squirrel Hill and elsewhere and say, who or what do you think brings peace? You have to stop people. There is an arresting them. But then there is the imploring. 
Do we believe this is real? Do we believe there is a heaven and hell? Do we believe in these ultimate realities? Then we must implore. And we implore concerning the Messiah because He alone is the one way. There is no other, no other given to man. So we arrest and implore concerning the Messiah because the slow train is coming and there is a suddenness to it all and there is a seismic nature to it all. Rabbinic Judaism. We need just to say a a word or two. Rabbinic Judaism is not like what you read in your Bible. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, I know what the Jews believe and I know this because I read it in my Bible. I say, no, no, no. We have 2,000 years of perversion. 2,000 years of rabbinic perversion of their scriptures. And they do not give the answer. We're coming to Yom Kippur. We've had Rosh Hashanah. We've had the, 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 the Jewish New Year, the head of the year. We're now living in the 10 days of awe, which are the days in which you've got to get your good deeds in because you've got to tip the balances so that the scales are looking good, that your name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life, or your name will be in the Book of Life, rather, for the coming year just. You only get one year, then you've got to do it all over again. You've got to do your good deeds, your good deeds, your good deeds. No. It was done by the Messiah. And we want to arrest our Jewish neighbors and tell them about Jesus. You know, also involved in an arrest may be a a, a telling the crime that has been committed. We need to tell people what they have done wrong to the God of Israel. And not only telling the crime, maybe there's a court date. And so we got to tell people also the book to the Hebrews of all places says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. In other words, there's a court date for all of us. This coming week, I clock up another one year on my age. I didn't, I wasn't with you last year, but it's been two years. I hope I'm with you next year. The church I was with this morning, I, had, I was there last year, and I'm thinking, is it a year gone by? The time just seems to go by so quickly, so quickly. And so our watchman witness must become more urgent and more intentional because there is a coming seismic event. Do we believe this? Mitch might tell it. I don't, you you have a limited time, but Mitch's testimony concerns a street evangelist that stopped him 40 years ago plus. And when Mitch was walking away and he said, no thanks, I'm Jewish, not for me, the street evangelist said, yeah, I remember someone not accepting Jesus and they died that night. Might not be the best evangelistic practice, but it got him thinking. Let's believe in the slow train. Let's not be disheartened at the Lord's slowness. And let's believe in the suddenness. And let's then pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a privilege it is to come to you as our Father God. We thank you for your word, for its instruction, for its challenge. 
We thank you for your promises, those irrevocable promises. We claim them, particularly pertaining to the Jewish people, but also pertaining to Gentile salvation. And we sit here indeed in fulfillment of many of those promises thousands of years ago. And so we pray, Lord, that you would enlarge our vision, enlarge our burden, and enlarge our intentionality to speak to the lost that are around us. And as we think particularly of the ancient people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So help us as we go to our labors and these coming days to have a watchman witness, even for that Jewish doctor or that Jewish dentist or that Jewish lawyer. Bring them across our path, Lord. And just as we are so thankful that salvation is of the Jews, may we respond by bringing back to them what they brought to us. For Christ's sake and glory, we pray.